when Justin stepped up to the pulpit a little bit ago with his guitar strapped on, he said, are you ready to worship this morning? And you said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about worship, true worship. Is all worship true worship? No, no. No, it's not. John chapter 4 and verse number 23 says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Would you like to be a true worshiper? Yeah? yeah? You sure? Yeah. Amen. All right. Verse 24 says that God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Within these two verses lie the keys to the true worship of our great God and our Savior that He's looking for. God is seeking true worshipers. And he's not going to find that out there in the world. He's only going to find it in his house among people that are really saved. Do you think that being saved is enough to make you a true worshiper? I think it's where we start. Every Sunday morning we gather our instruments and we get in front of our microphones and Justin greets you and he asks you the same question every Sunday. He says, are you ready to worship the Lord this morning? Your reply is almost always positive and your level of participation is usually good. What we do when we play the instruments and sing to the Lord is almost always referred to as what? Worship. We call it praise and worship. Well, praise is definitely why we're here. There's not anything more important that we do when we come to church or that we as a church can do than to praise the Lord. It really is. Apparently, this is considered the worship for most people. I googled the top reasons that people choose and attend a particular church. And in every poll, according to all opinions, seems like the music was a key factor in most people's choice of a church home. What was the most eye-opening of these surveys was in the, the fact that in nearly every case that the singing and the music program was referred to as the worship. Now today we're going to take a serious look at what God says is true worship. If you're going to be a true worshiper, probably going to need to know what true worship is according to the Lord, huh? Well, I want to believe that you really are here this morning to worship the Lord. And no, you haven't been doing it all wrong. Well, I guess we'll find out as we go, but uh, there's a lot more to understand about true worship than most of us presently do understand. So we're going to wade into this essential subject, and we're going to ask the Lord to reveal to us His true desire for our worship as he has revealed that desire in his word. Are you willing to do that? 
to ask the Lord to show you His definition of true worship. We're not going to cover it all, but maybe we'll be able to see the framework of what true worship should be. The Old Testament Hebrew word most translated to the word worship is a word pronounced shakal. Shakal sounds kind of like a tongue-tied crow. Shakal, it says. It means to depress, to prostrate. That's the position that Jesus was in when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It means to bow down, to crouch, to fall down flat, to humbly beseech, to make obeisance, do reverence, to make, to stoop, worship. That's what the word is. The New Testament Greek word most often translated to worship is proskuneo. It's described by a dog licking his master's hand. It means to fawn or to crouch, that is, to prostrate oneself in homage. Worship means to bow down. First of all, we're going to look at the priority of worship. How important is this? Our worship is the climax of everything that we do for the Lord. The priority of it is extremely high. Now we know that soul winning is our main thing in acts of service for the Lord. But most of that is something we go to do not come here to do. That's what it says, isn't it? Mark 16, 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Worship is usually something that we come together to do, not something that we go out to do. Ephesians three twenty one, it's on the wall. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Worship can and should be the main thing that we do to bring God glory when we assemble here together in the church. Why do we do this? Why do we show up? Why do we gather the way we do? It should be to worship. Worship is a must. John 4, 24, notice the language. God is the Spirit, and they that worship Him, what's the word? Must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Worship is not what it used to be. Worship has evolved. I'm not being critical about that. I'm just stating it as a fact. When the promised Messiah came to this earth... And he fulfilled his mission by dying for our sins and rising again from the dead. Worship for real believers, true saved people. Worship changed forever when that was fulfilled. Believers do not worship through animal sacrifices anymore. 
The true Lamb of God has now come. Let me read you this from the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. It says in verse 11, But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hebrews 10 and verse number 12 says, But this man, and you know who we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus here. After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Verse 1 of that chapter says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. What we see and know and understand after the coming of the Messiah as compared to before, the Bible says it's like the difference between looking at a shadow or turning your eyes and looking at what's making the shadow appear. A lot of difference. You can tell a lot more about a hand than looking at it than you can by the shadow that it casts. We worship on the first day of the week instead of on the Saturday Sabbath in celebration of the resurrection. We do that because we're following the example of the Judean churches, starting with that first one ever in Jerusalem. We follow the New Testament commands of Jesus. We're no longer under the Old Testament law. If I say anything today that ought to deserve saying an amen, and amens aren't for me, they're for God to know that you agree. Amen. That ought to get one. You not being under the law, but being under the New Testament commands of Jesus. I mean, Moses was a good guy, but he didn't love you like Jesus. Matthew 28 and verse 20 says, and this is the command to the church. There was only one at the time. And he said, well, I'm just reading the last verse for you. I put it on the screen. That's where he said, go teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. For lo, Jesus said, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. And when I checked this morning, it had not ended yet. So he's still with us. Much of the Old Testament law is still in force. It is. It's still sin to murder people, commit adultery, to make images and worship them and and carve out idols. 
most of what has evolved from the Old Testament law to the New Testament, now the Christ has come, most of it is applied to the subject of worship. Our worship has been specifically expanded to include, equally to include, the Father and the Son. In John chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal to God. Did Jesus preach and teach that he was indeed equal to God? He most certainly did. And there's really good reason for that. That's because he is. Jesus is equal with God because Jesus is God. Some people don't know that. Some of you, when you came to Lighthouse, did not know that. I trust now you do. John 5 and 22 says, For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. So when we worship, we're going to honor both the Father and the Son. When believers walk in fellowship with God, the Bible says that we walk in fellowship with the Father and with the Son. This is 1 John chapter 1. John desires of us, John who walked every day with Jesus, who they were, they basically lived together as one communal unit, the apostles, the disciples with him. He says, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And he said, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Worship truly is and must continue to be our priority. Who then can actually participate in true worship? Who are the participants of true worship? These true worshipers that we're reading about. Verse 23, this is our text that we started with. He said, the hour cometh and now is. If it was true then, how much more is it today? When true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth... For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. There's a lot of scripture that bears out the exact determination of who these true worshipers are. It suffices us to say this morning that we have studied this thoroughly and have determined that the true worshipers are those who are genuine born-again believers. If you're saved, you can be a true worshiper. If you're not saved... You can be saved and then become a true worshiper. The scriptures go on to tell us that true worship is participated in exclusively by true worshipers. The Bible tells us, true believers, how to prepare for worship. What we're to do as we get ready to come to church. Why do we come to church? We come to worship. There's preparation involved in that. Hebrews 25 of Hebrews 10, we see the subject of assembling ourselves together 
The previous verses tell us how to prepare for it. Here's what it says. Having an high priest over the house of God. Who is that? That's Jesus. What's the house of God? It's us, the church. He said, let us draw near to the church or to the house of God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the, the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Only a true believer can have a true heart. That's what it says, with a true heart, in full assurance of faith. Do you have a full assurance of your faith in Jesus Christ this morning? Do you know for sure that you trusted him to save you? You have his promise in God's word that he has bought you with his own blood? That's what we're talking about here. Only true believers have that. Only a true believer has full assurance of faith. Nobody but you knows for sure, other than Jesus of course, knows for sure that you really did put your trust in Jesus to save you from your sins. You're the witness. Only a true believer can confess his sin to the Lord and receive a heart sprinkled clean in return. That's what we stopped to do when we bowed in prayer earlier after the first song. Only a true believer has a true profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Now we're glad for lost people to come to church. Matter of fact, we work pretty hard to get them to come here. Why do we do that? Get them saved. That's what we want to see. That's what Jesus wants to do. However, the worship that goes on here is for Jesus and our Heavenly Father and can only be participated in by true believers. There is only one aspect that everybody out there can participate in when they come in here. I'll share it in a minute. This one thing that everybody can do, even if you're not saved, we can all take a bath before we come to church. You're laughing, but that's what it says. And our bodies washed with pure water. Say, well, that's baptism. No, it's not. Baptism doesn't wash away anything. So we know who can participate in true worship. Nobody but true believers. Then there's the practice of true worship. You said that you came here to worship. Did you come here to practice true worship? Some of you think, well, I thought I did. I thought I was. Are you sure that you came to worship the Lord this morning? Somebody is saying, well, what do you mean? I, of course I came to worship this morning. Well, I'm asking the question because by and large most Christians, even pastors and leaders seem to think that the worship is primarily the singing. 
if it was, I'm not saying that it is, but if it was, did you participate? The truth is, hold your hand up like that. Everybody got five fingers? All right, there are five, five, count them, one, two, three, four, five, five formal acts of worship that we as a church are commanded to practice every Lord's Day. Five formal acts of worship. They are, in no particular order, singing is one of them. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I think that means that when you sing, you're supposed to mean what it is you're singing. That's why we work very hard to make the songs that we sing scriptural. Not all songs that are sung in church are scriptural. You know that one that says, they rolled the stone away and Jesus came forth? Not scriptural. Jesus did not wait till the angel rolled the stone away before he came forth from the grave. Little things like that. And that's not such a little thing once you think about it. But uh, another one is praying. You say, well, aren't you supposed to go into your closet and pray? Yes, you are. But we also are to, to participate in corporate prayer. Ephesians 6 and 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Speaking of the church, Jesus said this in Matthew 18, verse 19. He said, again, I say unto you that if two of you, he's not talking about two people in place on the planet, he's talking to his church. He said, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together, and if you're going to say it right, you can refer to the previous verse, for two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now there's, uh, there's another one. It's called preaching. You expect to hear some preaching when you come to God's house, don't you? Well, do you also expect to participate in it? You say, well, we get to preach? I didn't say that. 2 Timothy 4, 1. I charge thee there before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. If preaching is worship, how are you to participate? Well, first of all, yeah, by listening. Are you listening? Yes, sir. Amen. I'm looking. Yeah, seems like most everybody's listening. 
and by responding. How do you respond to the preaching? Amen. Well, you say amen. Hallelujah. Okay, you, you all trying to make up for Mary when she's not here? Well, there are other ways to respond to the preaching. If I'm preaching the Word of God, you might want to think about responding by doing what it says. That's a pretty good response. Another area is giving. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, upon the first day of the week. What day is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, oh, that's today. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you, let some of you, let the one of you who are making the most money, let, what's it say? Every one of you. Lay by him in store as God, or according as God has prospered him. First uh, Chronicles 16.29, I, I really love this verse. It says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You know how I tell you every Sunday that you need a clean heart if you're going to worship the Lord? How are you going to worship the Lord in, in the beauty of holiness if you don't have a clean heart? There's only one place you can go to get one. Leviticus 27:30. All the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree or of the tenth of your paycheck or of the... You could write whatever you want in there. Everything that God gives you is what it says is the Lord. The tithe of that, the tenth of that is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And then there's this last one. And this one's probably going to make it quiet in here. And that's the Lord's Supper. There are a lot of reasons that we observe the Lord's Supper every Sunday. It's the example set for us by the Judean churches and we're told to follow their example. And I think, it's, I think it's just a wonderful example. After the Lord told them that when they take the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper in the remembrance of His death, He said, when you do this, you do show the Lord's death till He come. And when they found out that, they're, that they are preaching why He died for us every time they do that, they've moved it from once a year to once a week every Sunday they met on the first day of the week to break bread. This command was delivered to the Gentile churches by the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, He said, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Is that, is that a command? Amen. Yeah, sure it is. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. Do I ask one more time, 
Are, are you sure you came to worship this morning? Sir. What time did you get here? Lord's Supper's at 9.30. All right, I'm going to leave you alone about that. I'm going to let the Lord work on you now. Amen. And we're going to talk about the posture of worship. And some of you are saying, okay, here we go. One of the single greatest pictures of worship that you're going to find in the Bible, and this is my opinion, of course, is Psalm 95. Worship in the beauty of holiness, Psalm 95. Here's what it says. It's only eight verses. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills in his also. The sea is his and he made it and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. So some of you are thinking, isn't it amazing how I can read your thoughts from up here? It's almost like magic. Here we go again. The pastor is going to try to get us to kneel and worship again. No, I'm not. My job is to preach the word and to set the example. That's my job. And I'm doing my job. Jesus is my king. He's a king. He's the king of the universe. He's my king. And for as long as my knees still work, I will bow before my king. Amen. It's just that simple. It's not complicated. Philippians 2 and verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Where God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and of things in heaven and things in earth, I think we're still in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm not going to fuss about it with you. You live out your salvation however you want to. Satan's followers bow to him. Eventually, everyone is going to bow at the name of Jesus. There are just some who choose to do it now. And I am in that number. Romans 14, 11 says, As it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. 
I've been told by some, Pastor, I, I just believe that all those commands and examples of bowing down in the scriptures is more of a figurative thing, that we ought to be bowing down in our hearts before the Lord. Well, okay. Judging by our offerings, I think some of you believe that worshiping the Lord by giving is more of a figurative thing, too. <laughs> you know it's not. You know what it is. It's just what it says it is. My job is to tell you what the book says and to set the example. If you don't want to bend your knees, don't bow down. If you don't want to sing, don't sing. If you don't want to pray with us when we corporately pray, then don't pray. If you don't want to participate in the preaching, like right now, then don't. Matter of fact, you can get up and leave after the singing if you want to. You will not be the first one to have done that. It's happened before. If you don't want to tithe, don't tithe. If you don't want to give, don't give. If you don't want to show the Lord's death in the Lord's Supper, then don't participate in that either. You see, folks, you've got to understand something. Anything that you do for God, for His glory, to serve Him, anything you do for Him, has got to be done, and this includes all the forms of worship, has got to be done willfully, cheerfully, and from the heart. If it is not, it's not acceptable to God anyway. So you might as well not even do it. I'm here to worship the Lord this morning. Wouldn't you like to become a true worshiper today? You say, well, I believe I am a true worshiper just because I don't do all of those things. Well, if you want to be a true worshiper, you need to start by putting your trust in Jesus to save you from your sins. There's no other place to start. And not everybody in this place today can raise your hand and say, I know I'm going to heaven. I know for sure that I'm saved. Everybody here could be able to, could say that because Jesus had paid for it. It's done. There's not a single solitary thing that's left up to you. Nothing for you to perform. Simply put your trust in what Jesus has already accomplished, already done for you. Are you a member here? Most of you are. Let me challenge you to be a true worshiper. Next Sunday, next Sunday, it's a little late. We're about ready to dismiss here in a little bit. Some of you are past ready for me to dismiss, I see. But next Sunday, here's your challenge. Come early and participate in the Lord's Supper with the rest of the church. And then joyfully, cheerfully participate and the other four forms of worship with us as we together bow before our Lord. 
I, I can't guarantee it's going to do anything for you. But then worship isn't for you, is it? Who's it for? It's not for us. It's not what I can get out of it. It's not a whiff them. You know what a whiff them is? What's in it for me? Maybe nothing. I don't know. I can't guarantee it's going to do a thing for you. But I know it's worship. And I know it's for Jesus and for our Heavenly Father. And that's all I need to know. We're going to stand together and we're going to do what is traditional. And that is we're going to have a song of invitation. And if you need to commit yourself to be a true worshiper, which is the challenge of today's message, you could respond to God by having a talk with Him about that.